Hello and welcome to the GCU Law Podcast. My name is Sinead Stevenson-McCabe and I'm a lecturer in law here at GCU. I am delighted to welcome to our series of podcasts on equality in law, Caitlin Alexander. Caitlin is a trainee solicitor working predominantly in immigration and human rights law. She is a tireless advocate who's undertaken volunteering roles, working with survivors of rape and serious sexual assault, as well as with refugees and asylum seekers. Caitlin is also an LGBT and disability rights activist, roles informed by her own personal experiences, which she draws on when campaigning for the rights of others. You can see why Young Women Scotland named her one of their 30 under 30 in 2019. So hello and welcome to the podcast, Caitlin. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so we just want to start off by asking you about your career journey so far, which we like to start all of our podcasts off. So if you'd like to just give an overview of where you are now and your time as a student. Uh, yeah. Um, so I guess, I guess in school I was like a little bit weird. I was always kind of ranting about something. Um, so I knew that, like, I guess I could see injustice and I wanted to do something to help, but I was a teenager and I had absolutely no idea what careers I could actually go into to do that. I kind of started off wanting to go into psychology mm. um, because I knew that that's like being a counsellor, I suppose, I knew was a way that I could help people. Um, I don't really know how I stumbled across law, but I thought that that would be a way that I could make a change, I suppose, on a bigger level. Um, so, yeah, I applied to do law um did the undergrad and the diploma at Glasgow and I, I did my Erasmus year in Oslo so University of Oslo because they did a lot of human rights subjects so I did like refugee law women's rights um, a subject on like gender sexuality and violence because that was just my thing and honestly it was just one of the best years ever like I remember doing an essay on the subject was on women's rights and they wanted us to write an essay on like peace and I wrote an essay on like structural violence and how like peace isn't just the absence of war it's also kind of tackling the structure and I think it was then that I actually learned that like injustice and inequality is structural and how you kind of need to tackle it at its root rather than just tackling the issues when they arise there's a way to kind of stop them from happening in the first place I suppose yeah so interesting um and I think also like I kind of have a big passion for education as well so that's why I do like workshops um teaching about consent and sexual violence and things like that and how not to bystand when certain situations arise um, because I think the more that you educate people about the problems that are going on, mm. the less, hopefully, they're going to happen. I think a lot of it is a lack of education, but a lot of it is that there's just a lot of bad people about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like straight after the LLB, I did the diploma at Glasgow, and all through like third, fourth year diploma, I was applying for traineeships. Um, but at that point, it was corporate traineeships because they're the ones that tend to recruit that far mm -hmm. in advance. 
Um, and honestly, it didn't matter how much interview prep I did. I don't think there was any amount of anything that could like convince myself or anyone interviewing me that I, that was what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that never amounted to anything. But when, when I finished the diploma, I got a job with Citizens Advice. I was like running a project on the EU settlement scheme. So that was kind of like a transition law, I guess, between like Brexit and mm-hmm. when, I guess, when the new point-based system coming in, well, it's already came in, um, to try to get like EU nationals to stay in the UK. So that was very good. There was a lot of outreach. There was a lot of kind of reaching minority groups, reaching people that didn't know about the scheme, that couldn't access it for due to various vulnerabilities or just yeah. they didn't know how to use a computer or a phone, anything like that. Um, and I think that really helped me to get my traineeship, actually, um, like actually doing something in law. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I got a traineeship in immigration law and I did that for a year and a bit and then I assigned my traineeship to another firm who actually reached out to me via LinkedIn and like I wasn't looking to assign it but it kind of fitted in a lot better with my long-term career goals and yeah definitely had my moments of like so many rejections that I was just like oh what am I doing like no one's ever gonna hire me but I do think the years and years of commercial applications and commercial interviews did help because I don't know it's kind of an art definitely interviews and like selling yourself and it doesn't come naturally to me and I know that it doesn't to like especially women so I suppose I needed a little bit more of yeah. that kind of practice. And I think it's true what you say there. It's not necessarily an easy thing to do to sell yourself. And also it's just a really unnatural environment. Mm-hmm. The interview environment is really unnatural. Because I remember you telling me that you'd applied for jobs and you hadn't got them. And I thought, God, who wouldn't hire Caitlin? She's obviously <laughs> so clever and competent and passionate. Like how? But then, as you say, it's about the 20 minutes in an interview room and that you don't necessarily have control over that. I definitely identify with that myself. A number of times I've been in interviews and thought, I wish I wasn't having this interview now. I wish I had two interviews before this because I've, I'm not in the swing of, of being able to do this well. I've not thought really critically about what it is they're looking for from me and how I'm going to answer that. And there is something to be said for just going at that and, and practicing it because you do get better at it um, the more you, you do it. And then when they ask the inevitable daft question, what's a fun fact about you? You're like, don't worry, I've got this down. <laughs> the first time I remember getting asked something like that, I was like, um, well, uh, I'm a vegetarian. I just saw all the faces be like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, neither fun nor <laughs> particularly interesting. But yeah, you do you 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 do pick up those interviewing skills the more you you do it for sure. Yeah. Um, and then when you were working at Citizens Advice, um, 
doing the settled status work. Um, I, that must have been tough, um, tough work. You're working with vulnerable communities who are in a legally um, precarious situation. Um, but I, I know from having spoken to you before that you really in, enjoyed that work. Is that the kind of work you would say you, you value, that you enjoy generally? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, as I said, I always knew that I wanted to go into law to help people. So, yeah. like, even throughout uni, I would do volunteer things where I would work with various, like, vulnerable groups or minority groups. Um, and, yeah, I, I think, like, I was trying to learn about, like, their struggles so that I kind of, like, I was passionate about it already, but the more that you hear them firsthand, the more you kind of recognise your own privilege and what, how you can use that to help others. Um, but yeah, I did really enjoy the work with Citizens Advice. It was, it was also, it was quite intersectional as well. I remember working with a lot of women who had left relationships, like, mm -hmm. after domestic abuse where they didn't have the right documents to prove how long they'd been in the country. And there was kind of an element of making a case to the Home Office about yeah. that. I mean, I, I wasn't in a position to do that um, because I could only give a certain level of advice, but it was interesting to kind of see that. And I don't think that the Home Office had necessarily thought about that when they actually yeah. put the scheme in place. Mm -hmm mostly doing like or the ones that I like doing the most I suppose are people fleeing from countries where like the situation is very homophobic or they're fleeing domestic abuse uh, I guess that kind of ties in with my own passions a lot yeah and just when somebody gets granted refugee status it's just like the best feeling ever yeah yeah it really is especially I think when you feel like um that you you know the like transformative effect that has on people people get to live like their lives as their true selves no fear they get to build a, a whole new life as it it's a wonderful feeling um and one that's so so fleeting yeah yeah well, I know but I remember the very first like successful grant of asylum that I got was for this like um, lesbian couple but I remember when I was taking their statement I had said so how do you feel being in the UK versus being in your home country in terms of like showing or hiding your sexuality and they were just like basically it's night and day mm. and started crying just about how different it was and how happy they were being here yeah. and it was just like I, I'll never forget that and like I it took me a lot to like hold back my tears and remain kind of professional in that yeah I think but like when they got granted it was like yeah I'll never forget that before we do go into the next question I was just wondering if you could explain what it means to assign your traineeship and that process because I feel like a lot of law students might not know that that's yeah. a thing. 
no that is, a, that is a good question and honestly something that I didn't know anything about until the situation arose yeah I mean when I'm saying most law students I am talking about myself yeah. I do not know <laughs> 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 trying to make it broad it's definitely <laughs> these two law students yeah. <laughs> um so yeah essentially you just transfer your traineeship from one firm to another so I was like a year and three months into my traineeship out of two years so then the rest of my traineeship will be done at this firm that I've changed my traineeship to so like it's still the same training contract um you still do like your amount of CPD hours kind of transfers over all of that um yeah you just right. change it yeah. basically oh well that's interesting to know yeah. so yeah our next question is if you have any advice that you would give to law students um like one of my biggest pieces of advice would be like just put yourself out there so I mean I would not have had the opportunity to sign my traineeship if I hadn't um, I remember I I think the week prior I had just been admitted onto the, the role of solicitors and I had posted it on my Twitter and I was like okay well I've put it on Twitter so now people know about it and then I was like a few days later I was like I wonder if I should post it on LinkedIn as well and I was like nah there's no point but then I did and if I hadn't done that I wouldn't have got like my current employer would not have seen that and would not have messaged me so yeah I think that was a, a good lesson um also I think I mean I've kind of said this earlier but I think it is a good idea to apply early for traineeships even if it's not the kind of thing that you want but the experience you get from writing applications and I don't know there's a, there's a certain art that comes to thinking about the things that you've done and what you've learned from them and um, kind of being introspective in that way and then thinking about what transferable skills you've gained that took me a lot of time and I suppose it's a confidence thing so that I think I got to the point where I was like, I'm going to go into an interview and pretend that I'm not talking about myself. I'm going to pretend that I'm talking about this friend, Caitlin, that I have that's done all these things and it made it so much easier. You mentioned Caitlin applying for like a number of traineeships um, and obviously like not getting them. Um, and something I always say to students um, and to friends who were going for traineeships as well is you only need one, you know. You, you might apply for 200, but you don't need 200. You couldn't do 200 traineeships. Um, you know, you, you couldn't even do two. You only need one. But how did you stay motivated when you were applying for traineeships and not getting them? Did you just have that end goal in sight? Or um, did you have any kind of way of, of dealing with that in particular? Um, that is a good question. Like, I, I really did have a lot of times where I was just like I am never going like no one will ever hire me I like I don't even like I think it did come down a lot to 
my end goal. Like I knew, I knew what I wanted to do and I knew that I had, I had enough experience, but mm-hmm. it was the, the struggle of being able to talk about it in a way that like, because I always feel kind of immodest if I talk about something that I've done and being like, oh, well, this means that I am like good at communication or like whatever transferable skill it is. Um, yeah, but I guess I just, I went to so many like interview workshops, careers workshops. I had a bunch of meetings with the um, law careers advisor at Glasgow Uni. I think she was probably sick of seeing me by that point. Um, I did a lot of mock interviews and yeah, I think just knowing where I wanted to go and knowing that I wanted to help people like helped me stay motivated. But Issa, I think you've got a couple of questions yeah. about Jane. Yeah, so I think uh, because obviously this is under uh, our Equality and Law Project, and um, we've got some questions uh, regarding equality. So I think we had Amanda Miller on uh, before, and she's very passionately speaking about, uh, I suppose, uh, representation and especially LGBT um, representation in the profession. So I think for yourself, we would be asking, I suppose, what has your experience been like um, of being an LGBT woman and a person with disability in the field um just kind of wondering and I I I imagine only being I suppose a trainee for a little while it's a bit hard to gauge but I suppose even in university how has that been and and how's that been uh going into a profession in 2030 or 2021 I should say yeah so I am partially sighted and I got told quite a lot actually in school that I shouldn't I shouldn't do law I shouldn't do something so like literature intense I suppose there's like there's a lot of reading like a lot of reading um and it takes me a lot of time to read uh so I was just told not to do it but I guess like my personality is such that I was like well do you know what this makes me want to do it more like I'm gonna I'm gonna show you I mean even in school like it took a while for me to get any help like my mum and dad every single year throughout school would tell my teachers or whoever like Caitlin's partially sighted she needs help but they didn't do anything until I was I think maybe 15 or 16 when I was going to start to do my standard grades which people did back in the day you know because that's not a thing anymore that makes me feel old um yeah so it was like I think around the time when I was gonna have exams and I was like I I knew I was struggling but I didn't kind of have the confidence to speak up and like I have a I have a twin sister but yeah so because I had a twin or well I have a twin she would always kind of be my voice in the sense that she'd be like oh Caitlin needs to sit near the front Mm -hmm. can't share a textbook all of that so I think I was kind of I wasn't used to speaking up for myself but it eventually got to a point where I knew I was struggling too much and I was like I need some kind of adjustments and I didn't know what that meant at that time Um, because I hadn't and still haven't met anybody with the same eye condition that I have but um, it got to the point where I so I would get like extra time for exams I would get like enlarged materials and I got the same 
throughout uni as well, which I know really helped. There's, I mean, when I moved, I remember when I moved to Oslo, I think a lot of Scandinavian countries are kind of like, uh, just got on with it. So that was a bit more of a struggle. And I was kind of the guinea pig in the sense that the disability service hadn't had anybody that had went on an Erasmus year that was partially cited, um, like to Oslo. So mm. I think we'd all learned a lot about kind of how to go about that, I guess, next time. Um, because it was, yeah, that was quite a struggle because I wasn't getting any help. I mean, I've also recently been diagnosed as diabetic and I mean, that's also a disability, but that I was on furlough for about two or three months after that. So having now assigned my traineeship and I'm back at work and just kind of like coming to terms with or like getting to grips with how that is as well mm. in the workplace. So but look, like my firm is very, very, very good about it and like always gives me time to kind of like eat and test my blood sugar and all of that. Uh, yes. And in terms of being LGBT, um, I think like the biggest struggle, honestly, for that, like I don't think I'm this much much of a struggle right now being in the legal profession uh like my previous firm my current firm like there's no issues with it i think the biggest struggle with that was just coming to terms with it myself so uh and i guess like i'm, I'm at the point with like my my disabilities and like being gay where and like, like it's sometimes it's hard to talk about, but I see it in the sense that like when I was about to start law, I didn't know any lawyers or anybody that kind of had went through this. Like I saw like women in law, like I saw like Baroness Helena Kennedy and like Ruth Bader Ginsburg and all these people. And I was like, yes, I want to be like them. And, and I was like them in, a sense, in the sense that like I'm a woman but also not like them in other senses and because I didn't see myself in yeah. them in certain respects. Now I'm kind of like, even though sometimes it's difficult for me to talk about, I think it's important for other people to yeah. see people like that. Um, our last question um, to wrap things up um, is I think, how would you like the profession to develop? I think we've spoken about role models um, and in the previous podcast, it seems to be role models does seem to be quite a big uh, theme uh, throughout um, different minority groups. Um, and just kind of uh, what do you think needs to happen uh, for, for the profession to be more equal space? Um, is it just role models or is there other I suppose, adjustments uh, needing to be made? Um, yeah, I mean, what you're saying about role models is very important. I mean, the fact that Amanda Miller is the president of the Law Society, like a woman and openly LGBT is just like it warms my heart, truly. Yeah. Like it's just amazing to see. That was good fun, wasn't it? Oh, it was. That was good. I love that. <laughs> well, I feel all inspired, Kate. <laughs> <I know. laughs> 